Welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we're back with a second episode for January, which is kind of a rarity for us. We've been going once a month, and we decided that we had two episodes that were going to be based on pretty short story material and one movie apiece. And so we decided to go ahead and do a double dip for January. And that's what we're doing. And today we are talking about... Minority Report by Philip K. Dick. Minority Report is the name of the film. The Minority Report is the name of the story. By... The Philip K. Dick. The Philip K. Dick. Yes, it's true. So, yeah, we have a 1959 short story. 56. 56, okay. And a 2002 film. 2002 film. Starring Tom Cruise, directed by Steven Spielberg. Yep. Orchestrated by John Williams. So, what's the story about, Colin? Uh, The story is about a man named John Anderton. And he is the man that invented and is in charge of pre-crime. Mr. Enderton. I presume. Right. <laughs> Don't get confused with uh, Neo's character in The Matrix. This guy's completely different. He's right. 50. He's married to a much younger woman that he met at the office. They have no kids. And uh, he's uh, very suspicious. Which he's he might... balding. Don't forget that part. And balding. Yeah. Balding fact, and suspicious. Because they mentioned it quite prominently. In this. Not Tom Cruise in any way, shape, or form. Right. TV Tropes <laughs> has a category for that. It's called Adaptational Attractiveness. Oh, I like it. All right, nice. <laughs> what is Whitworth's first name? Ed. Ed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, worth mentioning that the story starts very abruptly. It's a short story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is you're, you're not likely to get a nice lead into. Yeah. yeah. I appreciated it actually. I kind of like the fact that it did that. Jumped right into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you know, lovey dovey, flip fluff, whatever. In the beginning. None of that hippie crap. <laughs> None of that hippie crap in the beginning. Yeah. So anyhow, he. Is the yeah he was the inventor of pre crime, and kind of heads up the whole department. Right, right. he's the commissioner of pre crime. Well, yeah. he's the Steve Jobs of pre crime, and was commissioner for what like thirty years or something in the book. Yes, but he's not thinking about retiring. No, despite this young buck that shows up That's at his why, office. Yeah, one day. he's all worried about getting, uh, I guess, strong armed out of his own uh, business. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pre crime, we should maybe mention what the basis for it is. Yeah. So they have found through genetic selection and careful training that some people are able to see the future. However, this happens at a huge cost to the person with the precognitive ability. They essentially have no personality or character or, or uh, consciousness that is discussed in the movie or the book. Uh, In fact, most of the time when they refer to them, they they call them like idiots, monkeys, uh, they they babble all the time. Anyway, pre-crime is the process of taking the things that these people are saying and translating it to refer to c- different kinds of events. Uh, Mr. Anderton is primarily concerned with murder and violent crimes, but there is also pre-crime sections for uh, taxes, theft, uh, cheating at poker, you know, all kinds of different things. Yeah. A whole slew of crimes across the spectrum, right? Exactly. Yeah. So there are three of them, and the idea, reason for there being three is that because uh, if two of them agree, we're going to assume that they're right. 
And uh, the, the third opinion is referred to as the minority opinion or as the minority report, which is... If the, it's different. If it's different. Yeah. Uh, which is the basis for the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ed Whitworth pops up in his office and Tom, or John is immediately... Tom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, immediately suspicious. Why is he here? Are they trying to force me out? Does this guy want my job? Hey, he's looking right. at my wife strangely. Mm-hmm. Are they having an affair? Do, do they know each other? <laughs> He's very yes. paranoid. He, he, he really does seem quite paranoid. He does. He leads yeah. to a lot of conclusions. Yes, and he's, he's taking Whitworth around the office and introducing him to pre-crime and talking about the precognitive abilities. and um, it, It's all in pretty old technology compared right. to what we're used right. to. And if you've seen the movie and you go back and read the story, it's going to be pretty abruptly different. Uh, there's no little spinning balls. There's no computer screens. Everything is done by little printed cards. Right. Well, while he's picking up a, a set of cards... He notices his name is on the top card. As a perpetrator. Exactly. He is mm-hmm. going to commit a murder. Yeah. Right now? So, and he knows he only has a certain amount of time before the army, who gets the other set of slips, there's a duplicate made for accountability, um, also gets this, and then and they come and get him, which he also right. figures is part of their master plan. They've sent Whitworth here to frame him somehow so right. that the army can come over and take over the pre-crime division. Yeah. Yeah, I guess his paranoia isn't really... It's not completely based, right? Yeah, he, there, there, there was. There's no real basis for his paranoia. It just kind of pops out of nowhere. But then again, Whitworth does kind of pop out of nowhere. In the in the movie, he actually had a reason for being there. Yeah. In in the, in the story, is just kind of out of nowhere. Hey, this guy from the Justice uh, training up to be like me. Yeah. What's going on here? In defense of the story, <laughs> I will say it becomes clear later. It does. But right. but yeah, right here you're wondering why are you leaping to that conclusion? Why do you think it's the yeah. Senate or the army that's trying to take over? And, so, and of yeah, course, yeah, so. the, the underlying assumption of Anderton the whole time is, why am I going to kill Whitworth? There's no way I'm going to kill Whitworth. And he shows it to his wife, who, we, you know, like you said, right, is, right. is more attractive um, right. than he used to be an underling. Used to be a secretary or yeah. something <laughs> like that. And she looks at it and she says, this does not say you're going to kill Ed Whitworth. Ed Whitworth. And he looks at it and he sees that it is a name, Leopold Kaplan, right? Yeah. Or something like that. A name, yeah, he doesn't recognize it. And he doesn't recognize it. Yeah. And that's a problem. It's hard to avoid killing someone you don't know. True story. I guess. Never tried it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But the act of him actually seeing him as the perpetrator on the card changes things. It's it's a it's a unique situation. Right. Yeah, we'll 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 get back to that. For the story. Yeah. Well, first of all, the unique situation is that someone has knowledge that it's going to happen. The the person allegedly the, the person that's going to commit the crime sees that it is known that he's going to do something. Right. That's not the typical case, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Well, yeah, yeah. That's that's the point, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, well, well, when he's talking to his wife about this, he starts getting suspicious of her, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because she kind of comes to the defense of Whitworth using his first name, Ed. Yeah, right. Ed wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> yeah, and and. He really does seem not well adjusted. No, uh, Anderton, and so he wants to go on the run because he's he's not going to kill somebody, right? And he doesn't want to be captured. Yeah, because and, and he figures it's a frame up, right? And so, right, it's not that he is trying to invalidate pre crime in any way. He is just trying to maintain his own freedom, and so he runs. He runs, and he's caught. Yes, he is caught, but not by the police. But not by the police. Yeah, and he's taken out hmm. to some place far away where he meets. Leopold Kaplan, who turns out works for the army. Does he reveal that he works for the army? Yeah, he does. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, and, he doesn't technically work for the army. He's retired. Right. <laughs> now, we should also mention the lead time on this is something like a week. It's mentioned as like seven days. The lead time to what? Until murder. murder. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that you know, I was I was reading the story, and I'm like, why would you kidnap the person who's supposed to murder you and bring him to you? That seems like a really bad choice. But if if it says it's going to happen in seven days, then right, I guess you don't worry so much about it. But I still, I I would think you'd try to keep away from the person who is trying to kill to you. murder you. Yeah. Well, yeah, that and you, you think about who Kaplan is, his personality. Mm-hmm. He's he's ex army. He has access to his own private security forces. He lives in his own private yeah. location. Uh, he's like, well, go get him so I can talk to him. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's a it's a very aggressive, arrogant attitude. Well, and, and he also part of his plan is. Catch him, send him back to the police. Because I don't want to get killed. Right. Right. Seemingly part of the plan, anyway. Right. And at this point, Anderton is still wondering, did you right. did you falsify this report somehow? Because it would have to be falsified on both ends. Right. Right. Um, and so, yeah. Kaplan is sending him back to the police. And on the way back to the police, the vehicle... I can't remember what they were driving in. They were just driving they were just in, in a, a car, in, like yeah, a, a car or something, a and it gets hit, hit by a bread truck. Hit by a bread truck, right? And <laughs> a guy grabs him out, stuffs an envelope in his hands, and says, "Here's a fake identity and some money. You need to disappear. You need to disappear." Mm-hmm. And so he does. And he sits and he stews, and he tries to figure out what's going on. And he decides he has to take some kind of action. Mm-hmm. So uh, he wants to go see. Well, remember the guy. The guy gave him a note, and on the on the card or. He gave him something with, with writing on it. And what it said was, the existence of a majority logically implies the existence of a minority. minority. Yes. Or something like that. Basically and, telling him to go find the minority report. Yeah. Without, without using those particular words. Right. Um, and I don't remember who he goes to see. I know he goes back to pre-crime. He goes back to pre-crime and he talks to one of his employees. He talks to the, the dude that takes care of the, the monkeys. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the monkey yeah. handler. Yeah, they call it the <laughs> monkey tank where, yeah. they, where they keep them. And... Well, we we talked about how they're kind of shriveled and yeah. and, and have big craniums and stuff or something. It, maybe kind of typical right. alien look. Yeah, the the like the, the description from the story kind of reminded me of yeah, like legitimately deformed human beings, with yeah. like large brains, small everything else. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I I kind of pictured them like the navigators in Dune. Oh. Yeah, where they they were like completely mutants almost. Mm-hmm. I thought they'd be more like the. Uh, Aliens from the Menagerie in Star Trek. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that, something something akin to those. Yes, mm-hmm. that's yeah. kind of what I was thinking too. Right, sorry, <laughs> that was sidebar. So yeah, he goes back in, pulls the Minority Report. Right, he pulls all three reports. Yeah. So after getting the the three reports, the two Majority Reports and then a Minority Report, he begins reading it, and quickly finds one that says that he kills Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Report number two says that. He learns that he killed Kaplan, and so he didn't do it. Right. And so then he looks at report number three, and he's stymied for a second, and then he kind of rocks back on his heels, and he's like, yes, Okay, I get it now. I get it now. Yeah. And during this time, there's a big rally going on mm-hmm. in, in public, and it's a kind of an army-based rally. And who mm-hmm. should be kind of the keynote speaker of it but Kaplan? But Kaplan, right. Yeah. And what he wants to do is use the fact that... Well, he wants to basically spin it to say no, he was never going to commit the murder. Anderton was. He was never right. going to commit the murder. And I have proof I have the minority report. And that proves that essentially pre-crime has been invalid the whole time. And that all of these people who have been arrested for pre-crime would not have done it. Right. Right. Which is pretty – to me, I, I kind of looked at that logic and went, I, I don't think that follows. 
It doesn't. That's because no, his I real don't. Plan. I don't think he. I don't think his plan was to expose the Minority Report. The plan was to expose the Majority Report, and still be alive though after talking to Anderton and convincing him not to kill him. Right. Therefore, it, they're wrong. Right, because it said clearly, he's it said going clearly, to kill me, and he doesn't. Right, he was going to kill you, and I didn't. They're wrong. Pre-crime is no longer the police. Now the army's going to take over. Yeah, yeah, I think that's correct. The police. Right. It's a power grab. Mentioned yeah. earlier in the story is the fact that the army has just had a pretty large setback in right. some war. And the army isn't the United States. It's like the Western Hemisphere. It's like the Western yeah. Bloc. Western Bloc. Allied forces or something like yeah. that. If, the, if there's a fault with the story, I think it's that it could have done with some world building to kind of establish the political climate. Everything is kind of implied. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's the vagaries of a short story, right? Don't, don't waste right. my time. Get to the plot. It seems right. very Cold War. Western yeah. block, yeah, Eastern block, right? West versus East. Yeah. Which yeah. makes sense, given... Makes you know, sense. The time frame. Right. right. So. And so Kaplan, he goes to talk to Kaplan. He says, hey, come up here on stage. We'll talk about this. The fact that you're not going to be arrested for murder. Mm-hmm. Right. And Kaplan gets up and he starts his spiel. And in the middle of his spiel... Anderson pulls out a pistol and shoots him. Right. Well, yeah, after Kaplan actually finally looks at the other majority report and realizes something's up, and he goes, he goes running, and Anderton shoots him as he runs. Yes. With a futuristic weapon that he got during one of his escape hmm. kind of right. attempts. Yeah, it's a little twisted with, you know, who is working for who and or for who well, and whatever. Right. Not really. <laughs> no, but there's there's a couple. Like, I mean, it's pretty apparent why he ended up shooting him anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no. He I'm shot not... him to save pre-crime. Yes. Okay. So that's really right? we should we should mention that, right? He understands now mm-hmm. that in order for pre-crime to continue to exist, he has to murder Kaplan, right? Because right. there there yes there were three minority reports. The one the original one where he found out about Kaplan's plans and just greased him. The second one where he found out that he was accused of it and didn't kill him. And then the right. third one where that where essentially he, he happened. killed him anyway. Yeah, he realizes <laughs> the larger plot to discredit pre-crime right. Right. and says, yes, I have no choice. I have to kill him. Yeah. Right. But now, I, I, to me, it's worth mentioning why that's the case, though. Mm-hmm. And they, they explain it very purposely in the book. The only reason that this could have been pulled off is because he saw his own card. Yeah. So right. the only way that this can happen is if a person in pre-crime sees that they're about to uh, uh, commit a crime and don't do it. Mm-hmm. This, this couldn't have happened to anybody else except Anderton. Yeah. And maybe the other guy on the opposite end of the army. Yeah, or, or yeah, somebody who works right. closely enough with the precogs to get the yeah. raw data. So really there's only two people that, where this incident could have occurred. Otherwise, yeah. pre-crime, in theory, works, quote-unquote, perfectly. Right. Right? Yeah. We should talk about the <laughs> ending. Right, so we talked about the climax of the book, where he shoots him anyway to save pre-crime. Right. The ending of the book, he and his wife are packing to go to one of the far distant colonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're basically going into exile. And they're kind of going away. And you, yeah. you kind of ask, well, he committed a crime. Why didn't he do this? Well, he, he did this not as a crime of passion, but you know, to stop... Right. Well, I don't know. Yeah, well, stop he, an invasion or stop... He had kind of arranged with Whitworth. Yeah, he, I'm going to kill him, and you need to pull some strings to get me exile. Yes, right. and so and so, and he had wanted to go see the Centauran colonies or whatever they were, right? Anyway, and so it should be pretty cool, actually. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. But the point I want to make there is that it's a happy ending. Oh, sure. Oh, interesting. Okay, true. Happy-ish. 
Happy you know, days. he did he did murder somebody. <laughs> eh. He murdered somebody for what he thought was a just cause. Yeah. And, and while not and, pleasant. Right. And there's some character development there where earlier he's talking to his wife and he, he essentially says, I would choose my freedom over the existence of pre-crime. Yes. And then toward the end, he realized, no, keeping pre-crime in place is more important. And so he went ahead yeah. and killed the guy. So it wasn't an easy choice. Yeah, there was, a, there was an internal battle there for him. Yes. Yeah. Trying to decide, well, should I keep my freedom and... Discredit pre-crime, but then the army takes over and everything sucks, or yeah. should I... So what I was talking pre-crime. about, about being twisty, is it's kind of the nature of Anderton being so paranoid. Because he kind of suspects uh-huh. everybody. You're like, okay, is his wife in on right. the plot? And yes, she's definitely in on the plot, according to according Fletcher to or whoever it was, who's actually oh, right. working for Kaplan, who yeah. says he's working <laughs> against Kaplan. And that that's why it's oh, it's sure. a little... I don't know. I After reading it, I've read it three times now. The first time I felt like I kind of got it. Then right. when I read it recently after watching the movie, <laughs> it's it's a little more convoluted. And and so I found it a little confusing. But I reread yeah. it. And, and I think you're right. It is pretty clear. It's clear in the end, yeah. I guess. I, I did. I remember going back and I went, wait a minute. Wasn't Fletcher? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fletcher, who has an army issue gun. And tries to strangle Anderton's right. wife. And tries to strangle Anderton's wife while they're getting away in the car from the yeah. time yes. when he goes to get all of the reports. Yep. Yeah. So what parts what, what parts were you not getting? I mean, you mentioned there was there were things you were holding out to talk about, saving him for the podcast. Um, it was just some of the kind of the lack of the development of of the motivations of everybody. I, it's this could have almost made a full size novel. Yeah, I would say so. So I don't have a lot of real problems with this story. Like like I said, some of the I felt like Kaplan as a bad guy and the army as the big bad, you know, was a little cliche. But I mean it's also sort of typical of of speculative fiction of that era. Right. Being right. suspicious of the government. Yeah. 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 It's it's a fun story. It's it's interesting and it has a great concept. And I think sometimes Philip K. Dick stories get lauded more for being by Philip K. Dick than for how good they actually are. And I, I'm not saying this one's bad. I think I think it's just it's concept over execution. Or I think it's a great concept, the, the precognition, the discussion of free will. And maybe that's what we should talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, where, yeah, the, the story's not perfect, but it it's good. I in you were you were saying that you had found a lot of stuff about comparing the story and the movie. Right, and there's a lot of love for the story out there, and I I don't get all of it. But I don't I don't think it's some like earth shatteringly good story. We we've read better. Yes, we've read better, but it's not bad. No, 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 no. no. I I would never say that. It's yeah. definitely good. Absolutely worth reading. Uh, so I had a question, just kind of a general question about the whole concept of precognitive crime fighting. Does it strike you guys that you couldn't just Say, we have precogs who have predicted a crime, and so let's go arrest the person. People would want proof. And so you would have to have at least some period of time where the precogs were predicting crimes and the crimes were actually happening to prove that it was valid. Like a proof of concept trial? Yeah. yeah so like there, there would have to be a, a time where you would have to match up, yes, that person did get murdered right? in order for it to work. Maybe. Which yeah. is kind of horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um. I had a I'm similar. Gonna, no, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, was, I had a similar thought when I first saw Minority Report, way back when. Yeah. I had a problem with that 
free will aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And be like, how do they know this is really going to happen? I, just because the I Greek do dogs f- say it is going to happen. I do feel like the movie actually handles that better. And remind me to talk about when he okay. talks, when Anderton talks to the founder of pre-crime. Right. See, yeah. I think it's a completely different, it's a completely different era. It's the 1950s. And in the 1950s, when you look at uh, risk-taking and stuff, uh-huh. like uh, if you read about modern scientific experimentation and stuff today, they'd say that, that today the United States would never, ever have done the moon landing. It would have been so costly to be so overly ca- safe and redundant that it would never, ever have gone. And then you look at the 50s and the 60s, well, they just went and they did it because they thought it was a good thing to do. Sure. I think that th- they would have just stepped out there and did it. So we've been lucified over the last 50 years. Yes. Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, though. It's something like this, it seems like if if there weren't those checks and balances and proofs that it actually works, it, it could be so easily manipulated. Oh, sure. I mean, you would right. have to prove this is what the precog said and this is what happened. Because if you if you just went immediately to preventing crimes, then you could just you could use it to blacklist people almost only in a much worse way because you're sending them away to camps. Yeah, almost mm-hmm. like the Oracle of Delphi problem. The Oracle is speaking in some unknown language and it's translated for you so that you know what it really means. Oh, the, the the film actually addresses that, right? The power has never been with the Oracle. The power has always been with the priests. priests. Yeah, which I thought was a great line. Yeah. Uh, anything else? True. <laughs> Should mention the story is written in an earlier time when uh, sensitivities were different, and if someone was mentally deficient oh, right. or in, in any way, we didn't have nice. Well, we did. We had nice politically correct words like idiot. Yes. Which now with language creep, the way it happens is that kind of fell out of favor. It's it's a vulgar word, and right. and now now it's used completely in more of a colloquial way. Just to you call anybody an idiot you want to, right. and you're not calling them a retard. Where like right now, if you call somebody a retard, you get smacked by the political correctness police. That's offensive now. Yeah. Yes, um, but you know, in 30 years, That's so retarded. In 30 years, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if there's some other term that is now the offensive one, and retard is is something that is used all the time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Although it was used all the time when I was a kid. So, on to the movie. Oh, uh, one other thing about the whole the fact that it was three minority reports. There was no majority report. Right. The majority was sort of the fact that Anderton was going to kill Kaplan. That that was, constituted the majority. Right. But really, when you actually read all the details about them, and they were very, very detailed. Yes. Because when he started, when he started um, reading through the reports, there was a lot of information there. So. Well, and we should say that that the different precogs saw different distances in time. Yeah. So that and that explains the layering of the reports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, one, that's one a kind of different tack from what's taken in the movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that if if the book was an introduction to precognitive crime detection, the movie is the exploration of how to take advantage of it and what its possible shortcomings are. Well, on that note, maybe we should uh, transition to talking about the film, the two thousand and two film starring Tom Cruise. Yes. Directed by Steven Spielberg. There's some interesting stuff in the film, like motifs that you see, and one one that's very consistent is water. There's a yeah, because the the opening credits in the film actually kind of take place, and you can kind of see a ripple effect, and it resolves to Agatha in the water. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I like to see in an adaptation of a short story, and we've we've talked about this in the past, Orson Scott Card's idea of adapting something that's short into a longer form is you don't necessarily add a bunch of stuff in the middle 
you add to the beginning and the end. And one thing we never saw, we never really heard anything about. Didn't even we never saw pre-crime in action in the story. Right. We just saw kind of the the results of it and the, and the way it worked. And so right. I really like kind of the opening sequence of the movie because it shows they actually show it. Yeah, here's here's occurring. here's how they do it and it's it's quite different like you mentioned. Right. The technology is very different. Um, it's not 50s technology. It's it's <laughs> right. set in 2054, something like that. Yeah. Reasonably near future. And I was watching some interviews with Steven Spielberg about it, and he wanted to keep everything within the realm of possibility. And he had a panel of experts. I don't know if you saw any of this. Uh, I saw it mentioned in the Wikipedia page, but that's the only thing uh, that I saw. Yeah, I read about it on IMDb. Yeah. I brought in, like, panel the futurists, right? Yeah. 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 What, what, what kind of stuff are we going to see in crime-fighting right. technology and well, surveillance? Well, you know, in world-building kind of in general. Yeah. He was looking at, you know, the cars. Yeah, self-driving cars. Uh, retina scans, retina scan, and personalized right. advertising, and there's a whole list of things that were kind of predicted by it that have maybe been realized in some ways. Right. Um, I like the six 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 sticks. Yeah, those are sweet. Okay, so like I said, uh, they start with pre-crime in action, and Whitware shows up. He's Danny Whitware this time, not Ed, and right. played, played by Colin Farrell. <laughs> And he's an observer who's been sent over from Department of Justice mm-hmm. to check things out. Right. And pre-crime is going to go nationwide. Right. Pre-crime started in Washington, D.C., only ran right. for six years. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're going to vote on it in a few days to see if it is going to go nationwide. Right. So Whitmer shows up right in the middle of a red ball, which is a non-premeditated murder. Right. It's a crime of passion. Crime of passion. And so the clock is ticking on this. It's just a few minutes away. And you get... Lots of interesting kind of exposition that seems kind of organic to the scene because Whitware is the outsider. And so the team mm-hmm. is explaining to him what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it shows, it shows the images starting to come in. And there's this cool kind of translucent screen or transparent screen that images start showing up. And Tom Cruise is doing the whole connect. The gesture motion. Gesture, yeah. gesture stuff. With his gloves. He's yeah. playing with his Xbox. And the, what they call that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Neil McDonough says what he's doing is called scrubbing the image. And so they're looking for clues as to where this is happening. Because all they know is the time, really. The time yeah. and the date. And the person. And the people involved. And the people. That's right. But, but then all the other clues about where this person right. lives um, is from the images that the precogs produce. Mm-hmm. Now, presumably you could just look the person up, but in this case there's a series of kind of unfortunate events, I guess you could say. Yes. Um, they've just recently moved and their, and their new right. address is not in the system. And so it's kind of down to the last minute. It's a cool scene with them. It's intercut with the actual events leading up to the murder, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. Visually it's really nice. Yep. Yeah. Oh, one, one thing I wanted to mention was Tom Cruise comes in, the images start coming in there, and he puts in music. And um, it's an unfinished symphony from Schubert, which I think is <laughs> it's a fascinating metaphor for an unfinished crime. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure if it's deliberate, but I really like that, funny. that he, puts, <laughs> he puts the thing in there, and right as the music comes up, he raises his hands like a conductor, and that's what starts all the image processing, which I thought was, I'm sure it's <laughs> deliberate. Oh, no doubt. Um, yeah. another, another little note about the... Um, the look of the film, it's kind of almost a noir look where the, the, everything is oversaturated by light. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, there's also lots of shadow and lots of kind of muted colors. It almost looks black and white in places. It does. Yeah. We get to see some of the cool technology. I mentioned the six stick. This is a, a wand they hit you with. 
that causes you to vomit. And uh, they have personal jet packs for zipping around places. Yeah, we don't really see that yet. We see their kind of hovercraft helicopter thingy that they take out there. Yeah, it looks yeah, like a big We see them later show. on, I guess. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, the halo. <clears throat> and the halo. Cool. So that, it shows that in, and how it works. You, know, you're being, you are accused, you're charged with future murder of these people. Right, right. And, and the guy, even as they're arresting him, says, I, but I didn't do anything. And then they, they put the halo on him. Right. You were. Everything's awesome, yeah. So That's the seed for the audience. I didn't do anything. Yeah. I, I guess <laughs> I should mention, I, I kind of want to do a little bit of a march through of the plot of this, at, okay. least, at least in parts, um, just because there's, there's kind of a lot to talk about, I think. Mm. Um, Very well. So back, <laughs> back at pre-crime, you get the discussion between Whitwer and the other people who are there, the, the other people who work there, about causality and determinism and, and all of that. And saying, you know, we're arresting people for crimes they've never committed, which was actually something that Anderton said in the story. Mm-hmm. And so you, you have the roles almost reversed in the film for part of that. And he insists on going to see the precogs. And this is where we find out how they get the images out of the precogs' heads and some kind of optical tomography or something, which I'm going to put a link in the show notes. There's actually there's work in that going on right now. Wow. Um, where they can actually kind of scan your brain to see what you're seeing. So all we need are some precogs oh, yeah, and we're yeah. good to go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I remember reading that article. That was yeah. cool. A question I want to get back to, if I can remember to, um, there's three precogs. And, yes. we, and we see a news report or something that's advertising pre-crime and says, we got three precogs. Which, at some point, we find out they can cover about 200 miles. Yes. Yeah. But they're talking about taking the thing national. Yes. So do they have other precogs that they're developing? So, or they move if around. you imagine, yeah. you'd have to. Yeah. If you skip ahead to where he's talking to the lady, the lady that actually invented pre-crime, mm-hmm. she says, it's not like we created them. They're the ones that survived. That told me there okay. were three, but they understand the process for creating more. Okay. So they're actually the children of people that are addicted to this new kind of drug called neuronin. 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 Like heroin. Yeah. But, yeah, but... Okay, well, let's get back to that when, when we talk about that scene, because okay. um, it, was, it was interesting. So after the, uh, after the arrest, Tom Cruise goes for a run, and he goes out. Before this, they introduce the concept of an echo, because, because when they're down in the tank, you have that interesting discussion about, um, the, well, it's not called the monkey tank, it's called the temple. Right. And they're talking about how the, the precogs are almost deified in society because of what they do. And even some of the other... Well, Whitwer, it turns out, was in school to become a priest. He was, he was in seminary. Right. And so, right. so he has some interesting kind of existential <laughs> stuff about it. And he, he, he gives that line, you know, the power is always with the priests. And Anderton confronts him, you know, cut the crap here. What are, you, what are you doing here? What are you looking for? There hasn't been a murder in six years. The system is perfect. And he says, I agree. If there's a flaw, it's a human one. And there's almost a validation of Anderton's suspicions in the book in the movie. Whitworth yeah. is there to take over, and he exercises his power in overwhelming ways in several places. Right. He gives he, the reason he can go down and see the precogs, which none of them have ever done because of uh, trying to keep strict separation. Yes, contamination. Yeah, contamination or yeah, any tampering of any kind. I would say tampering more than more so than anything yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. You you could almost argue that when. So when they go down there, uh, Agatha rears up and grabs Tom Cruise and says, can you see? And she shows him something that she had seen or is seeing. Yeah. And uh, you can almost say right. that's where the interesting part of the movie really starts. 
Definitely. With that contact, that touch, and that transmission of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sets off the rest of the events of the film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, next cut, cut to he's running at night, and he goes down and buys drugs. Yes. Uh, which <laughs> right. is called the whiff. I, I mean, that's what, that's a Street slang term for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, he actually says, you know, you want a little clarity or something. So maybe it's called clarity. And it's Claritin. That's what it is. New clarity Claritin. or old regular clarity. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and the guy calls him chief. I don't know if you, know, you noticed that. And he's like, well, you know, what do you think you know about me? And he's like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Like my right. dad used to say, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And he shows that he's got no eyeballs. Right. You know where his eyeballs went? To somebody else. Yes. Somebody who bought them. Yeah. Somebody bought his eyeballs. Yeah. Which we do get that. So Anderton pursues this. He's like, what, what is this murder that evidently Agatha was seeing? Oh, Sorry, one other thing. The names of the precogs. Did you catch what, what they're referenced to? Only because I read the Wikipedia okay. page. I, I, yeah, that's the same with me. So I, I can't say that I, I caught it. So they're Arthur, Dashiell, and Agatha, which are references to mystery, mystery authors. Novels. Yeah. Yeah. Mystery novel. Yeah. Authors, Agatha Christie, Dashiell Hammett, and Arthur Conan Doyle. Mm-hmm. So. so it turns out he, he's a drug addict because uh, seven years ago, he lost his son. He, they were at a swimming pool. He, they were each trying to see who could hold their breath longest underwater. Right. Uh, while he was under there, his watch, which his son had been holding, falls into the water. He rears up out of the water, and his son is gone. Yeah. And so um, his wife left him, uh, and he, he really has no life outside of pre-crime, just like mm. the John Anderton in the story. Right. Um, although this is a much more pitiable John Anderton. I identified yeah. with that whole, oh yeah. my God, I've lost my son. Definitely, yeah. Uh, I remember that from watching it as a movie back in 2002 mm-hmm. when it came out. Yeah, me too. Um, oh, and Whitwer. Whitwer mentions that his father was also murdered before pre-crime. Mm-hmm. And so they, they kind of have a connection there. But but Anderton's very suspicious of him. And introduce another character, Lamar Burgess, who was one of the founders of pre-crime. Right. And he tells him, watch watch this Whitwer. He's trouble. Mm-hmm. And But so... Uh, Anderton wasn't paranoid enough. <laughs> Anderton goes to see Burgess and asks him about this murder. And I think it's after... Oh, first he goes to the holding cells, right? Yes. Um, which is a great scene. Uh, I can't remember that actor's name. He wants to pull the minority <laughs> reports. He wants to just find out who this is. So he goes down and says, I've got a, I've got a murder here. It's a drowning. Right. And mm-hmm. so it, the guy looks it up and finds pretty quickly who that is. And it turns out that the lady's name was Anne Lively. But her murderer is a John Doe. Never and, identified. And never identified. And Anderton's like, well, how, how is he not identified? Because they've introduced earlier in the film the concept of the eye scanning, where you're scanned everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And he asks him, why was he not eye scanned? And the re- response is, on account of those are not his eyes, that's why he wasn't identified. <laughs> and you can, you can get that done on the street for a couple thousand bucks. <laughs> now you can. Now yeah. it's really easy and inexpensive. Yeah. And while he's, while he's there, Whitworth goes to his apartment and finds the used... Um, Drug containers. Right, while well, he's talking to Burgess. So he brings, he brings that to Burgess and says, look, here's, there's a murder and the files are missing, because that's the other thing that he finds. Is the, there is one report in there, but no report from Agatha. And so he wants to find out what, what happened to this, this data. But isn't that explained later? All the minority reports are deleted. They're never kept. Right. Yeah. Um, it is explained later, yeah. But it's a mystery for now, right? right? He's wondering, why is this missing? And he shows it to Burgess, and that is the other thing that sets off, well, 
that's giving it away. Obviously, nobody's going to be listening to this if they haven't seen. You the can film. go ahead and give it away. Yeah, yes, please. Nah, nah. Do it. So we we even get stuff from. There's definite differences between the way the precogs work in the films and the way they worked in the books. Right. They they don't have information about all kinds of crime. They have information about murder, and that is all. Right. And actual murder, not attempted murder, not. I'm thinking about killing someone. You were actually going to kill someone, and during that well, conversation, in the, as far as Peacock's concerned, they did, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But in that that discussion with uh, Whitwer, uh, Anderton rolls the ball across across the counter, and Whitwer right. catches it, and and you have that discussion <laughs> of the nature of causality, and the fact the fact that you caught it doesn't invalidate the fact that it would have hit the ground if you hadn't caught it. But it's not the future if you stop it. Isn't that a fundamental paradox? Yes, it is. You're talking about predetermination, which happens all the time. Why'd you catch that? Because it was going to fall. You're sure? Yeah. But it didn't fall. You caught it. The fact that you prevented it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. Right. You know, it's a nice demonstration, mm-hmm. but it completely falls apart when the ball has free will. Yes. What if it the does. ball had stopped itself? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good demonstration, but I think I know why they did that demonstration. I mean, Obviously, it's an obvious way to talk about the fact that a chain of events is set in motion. Without intervention, something is going to happen. Right. But yes, the the, the factor of if the ball was able to independently choose, mm-hmm. then yeah, things would change. So what happens? He goes back into work. Murders seem to occur as soon as Anderton gets to work. <laughs> that's, that's when the predictions happen. Yes. So John Anderton walks in. They're in the middle of another one. Mm-hmm. They are... He's starting to scrub. It's a it's a brown ball, which which murder. is a premeditated murder, and they're kind of surprised about that. And as he's looking at the who's images, dumb enough to premeditate a murder? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it shouldn't have been brown though. Why? Because you're talking about the one where he comes up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't have been brown. Okay, we'll get back to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So it comes up as a brown ball, a premeditated murder, and yeah, I see what you mean. We'll we'll, we'll talk mm-hmm. about that. Um, they're scrubbing the image, and they're and waiting for the name of the murderer to come out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he sees himself. And that he's kind of like, what? what? And, and, and the witnesses that he has on there from the Department of Justice or, you know, judges or something are like, I'm not sure what I'm seeing here. And he shuts him off. Yes. And then the brown ball, <laughs> the brown ball comes out, and his coworker is about to grab it, and Anderton intercepts it and sends him on an errand to get cake or something. Yes. Right. Interesting little kind of motif thing that happens here. As soon as Jad goes down to get the cake, yeah. Anderton drops the ball on the floor. Which, given the, the earlier, mo- the earlier mm. demonstration of a murder going to be committed and intercepted so it doesn't hit the ground, that's a killing that doesn't happen. He drops the ball on the floor because the killing does happen. Interesting. I'm, I'm sure it's deliberate. Right. But I, I noticed it this the last time I watched it. I watched it with my son, and yeah. I'm like, "Oh, keep that in mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you about it yeah. later." So, killing. Well, so here's why I wish it's, it's, it's a good Steven metaphor because the killing does yeah. happen. It still happens, just not the way it was predicted. I right. Guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why I wish Steven Spielberg would do commentaries because it's probably mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, otherwise, I kind of expected him to just pocket it, like in in the movie. I mean, I'm sorry, in the story. In the story. Right. But instead he drops it. And there, there would be no reason, to really, a it. rational reason to drop it. It's, it. He's leaving evidence behind, which nobody evidently picks up. 
Well, Unless he's just shocked. See it, right? There's a there's a record of it. The guy downstairs tells him, "Hey, I like you. I'll give you a couple minutes before I." Yeah, right. and there's a great scene in the elevator because that's when that's the moment. As, right. as Anderton is trying <laughs> trying to run, Whitworth catches him and he's like, "You're in a lot of trouble." And of course, Anderton is thinking, "Oh, you know about the right about the pre crime." Yeah, and, he, and you know he grabs him and he throws him against the wall and he puts a gun to his head or you know, under his chin. Yes, and and he says. You're not really going to kill me, John. Why don't you put the gun away? I don't hear a red ball. And then, right then, the alarms go off. And, <laughs> that was and Colin, cool. To Colin Farrell's credit, he, he does a good face of, oh, crap. You know? <laughs> this is how it ends. Possession alone costs you six months. Not to mention your badge. I guess we won't be working together after all. Put the gun down, John. I don't hear a red ball. And then there's a long chase scene. There's a very long chase where scene. Where we get to see a lot of the technology. Mm-hmm. And it turns out Tom Cruise can defeat seven of his own men when mm-hmm. he's unarmed and they're fully armed with all their te- technology. Uh, he is a big, beefy guy with an Austrian accent. Oh, wait, no. That no. was Arnold. You're thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of back to when we were talking about the uh, futurist panel. Mm-hmm. One of the things they told him, no jetpacks. We already have jetpacks. And personal jetpacks like that, you know, u- using them for police, probably not practical. And he went, right. Yeah, I'm going to do jetpacks anyway. <laughs> uh, the jetpacks were pretty cool. Everybody they, loves they are, jetpacks. They are pretty awesome. I thought it was kind of obvious wire work, and like it's not. I don't know. I most... thought they looked pretty janky myself, but well, yeah, they if, look kind if of you're lame. on somebody's yeah. back and you don't catch on fire, but if you go up through yeah, the tube right? and the tube catches on fire, <laughs> that tells you something. Yeah. Right? So lost a little bit of credibility there. Well, I think from from what I could understand from what Spielberg said was he just kind of liked it as an homage to like old science fiction serials. Because there were yeah. always jetpacks. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. I actually, I really like the jetpack chase and everything. But then it goes into the car factory. And I felt like they had two action scenes and should have kept one and gotten rid of the other. But they also needed to establish how Anderton got wheels. So Right. So he gets wheels and he drives out. This is where we brought up this before. I should mention... If, if I was going to keep one, I would keep the jetpack scene. For if if for no other reason than as we're watching, as I'm watching this with my son in the car factory thing, he says this reminds me of Star Wars Episode Two. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, yeah, it kind of does. Um, so I, I wasn't I wasn't thrilled with that action set piece. Well, and there's the I part did, where all I did the like welders the, uh, come in. And there's seven yeah. welders, and mm-hmm. he's in there, and he doesn't get hurt. Yeah, I did like the sonic gun thing though. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. And I the, don't know why you have to the, flip it around to charge it. Because it looks awesome. Yes, you, you don't need that's why. Because it looks cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then, this is where he goes and sees the inventor of pre-crime. Right. She's and, a bioengineer. Yeah, and so she tells him that no, this is not something we did deliberately. This is we were trying to save kids who were cocaine babies, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like that's that was crack a big thing. Babies. Yeah, crack Narrowin babies. babies. Yeah, narrowing babies. Yeah, and some of them. Exhibited those abilities. Yeah, and and it just kind of it was as we were talking about the testing, mm-hmm. right of of the system. They determined that the nightmares that these kids all had about murder were actual murders that were or murders that were right. occurring. Right. So that's kind of the testing phase, right? And that's so where like, that's where more of your precog would come from. To yeah. Go back to what you were saying earlier. To to field other yeah offices throughout the country, I guess pre. Yeah, the, the interesting thing, though, is she mentions that the neuro-endamaged babies were damaged by an earlier version, not like not not the whiff stuff, that, not the refined that version. Using, now. Sure, yeah. Anderton is using, but I think that's probably the correct answer. That there's more yeah. kids out there who could right. be treated with the same stuff and given mm-hmm. those abilities. Which that's 
that's a real uh, moral. It's not even a gray area. That that's <laughs> right. looks yeah. pretty evil to me. Yeah, because um, the precogs look like they're in their twenties or thirties, mm-hmm. and so if that drug is no longer available, in order to create new precogs, you'd have to treat them yeah. in order to give give them that ability. Right. Right. And then you have to say, well, what happens fifty years from now mm-hmm. yeah. when we don't have any more existing? narrow and damaged babies to start treating to make oh, this. the government wouldn't tell you that there were no longer any <laughs> Right. Of, of course, you know, the, the whole point of the red ball is that crimes of passion still happen. People still snap. They, they even, even knowing that pre-crime is there, people still commit or try to commit murder. Right. It's just that the premeditated stuff generally doesn't happen. Yeah, that's another interesting question. So there were 1,109 murders in the six years that pre-crime was in existence that they were all stopped right he was he was right. case number 1109 mm-hmm. i wonder what the actual mur- and they only and the precogs only cover a certain radius yeah so i wonder what i wonder what the, the murder rate in washington dc actually is it's very high it's i quite think it's high. the highest in the country actually yeah. do you think it's 200 people per year oh, i yeah. don't know uh, more than that probably i would think so dc is the highest murder rate in the country i think currently you think it's lower than that let's do some research real all quick right, pause in 1994, the city recorded 399 murders in Washington, D.C. I've got a graph. By 2004, it was down to 198 murders. So that's two years after the movie was made. Well, see, pre-crime had an effect. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure what we're going to be able to keep on that. Do you want to, right. do you want to mention anything? Um, gosh. Well, I can say that the D.C. The homicide rate is pretty big. Yeah, uh, in the in the early '90s, it's six times higher than the U.S. average. Yeah, and in 2012, it ends up being only three times as high as the U.S. average. It's been an improvement. Yeah, but still, you would think that the knowledge that pre-crime exists would would still prevent people from doing crime, from committing homicides. Maybe not those crimes of passion, like when right. you go home because you almost forgot your glasses by accident. Well, there's always going to be those people that think they can cheat the system and try it anyway. If there wasn't those people, there probably wouldn't be much crime today to begin with. Yeah, true. That's true. But when you demonstrate that you can stop every single one, yeah. apparently not. <laughs> within a range, anyway. <laughs> yeah, within range. Yeah. It seems, seems like the murder rate right outside that radius would be huge. <laughs> Let's take them right. out of the city limits because yeah, they don't exactly. get kidnappers. Yeah, but if the person was inside the radius when they were thinking of doing it, you'd have to live outside that radius. You couldn't just drag somebody out there because it would show up as premeditated. No, no. Because remember, they don't catch people thinking about it. They catch people doing they it. Pre- they preview. They precognate. Right. Perceive. Yeah, profit. That's true. Yeah. They only see the actual happening. Do you want to throw another P word in there? <laughs> Probably preview, not. Precog. Pre- <laughs> no. Prophecy. Prophecy. There we go. Predict. Aha! Yeah. Victory. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, you win. Uh, we're playing Word Salad with Colin Kuski. <laughs> what, what, what was this about the uh, three idiots babbling? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyhow, he goes to see Dr. Heinemann. He asks about minority reports. Or she implies that, that they do not always agree. Right. And, and this is where he finds out, yeah, that indeed minority reports are discarded. Because the... Which seems silly. It does seem silly, yeah. but it also... Given what we know about the founding of pre-crime, makes sense. How does it make sense? One of the founders of pre-crime committed a murder. Oh, oh, touche. Yeah, you're right. And and the way he got away with it was the minority report was discarded. Right. No. The minority report was interpreted incorrectly. Yes, and then discarded. 
is an echo. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two different two different points. <laughs> I guess he covered his bases. How you look at it. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, I guess he covers his bases, sure. But yeah. so it was still the minority report. So now he's talking to, to Heinemann and saying, Well, how do I how do I get out of this? And after kind of the discussion of pre crime would be destroyed if anyone knew about the minority reports, which I don't necessarily agree with. And I, no. it it makes a certain logical sense if you right. didn't tell people about them, yeah. The, you know, civil rights activists would probably be all over that. Right. But does its very presence mean that it's invalid? It means there's doubt. You could make the argument. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and then there would be hearings and all kinds of stuff. And they're trying to take this thing federal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so she tells him, you need to go get the minority report. And he's like, I thought you said they were discarded. And she says, yes, but I make a copy. The system makes a copy of it and stores it in the precog. Now, I don't know if this means digitally in some way, like Johnny Mnemonic, <laughs> uh, but right. but somehow it, it is, it is the in there. Yeah, she says it's stored in the precog, and so I don't know if that means it's just a memory and they will have it and it'll be an echo that they continue to experience. They did in- right. introduce the concept of the echo for really bad ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he he kind of looks at her and goes, oh, that's that's all, just... Just walk into pre-crime, somehow get into the temple yeah. and, mm-hmm. and get my minority report. Right, yeah. And I expected to hear, dum 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 It's also where we start to lay the groundwork for how important Agatha is. Yes, because she says the female is the one with the most talent. Right. right. And, and the minority report always comes from her, she says. Um, so one of the, the main problem, of course, with trying to get pre-crime is, pre-crime is he will be eye scanned over and over before he gets there. Yeah. And this is where it goes back to the, well, maybe we can get into the city mm-hmm. if we have some other eyes. <laughs> um, and I love the scene with the doctor. Oh, he's yeah. so good. That was pretty good. Yeah. And the, and the weird mole nurse. With the big growth. It reminded <laughs> mole, me of, mole, uh, mole. <laughs> it reminded me of uncle Buck. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Buck melanoma. Toby Russell's ward. <laughs> <laughs> So it turns out Anderton knows the doctor. <laughs> he yes, put him away right. because he was a uh, plastic surgeon. He was a plastic specializing surgeon in burn victims who burned his victims so that he could operate on them. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't let them all burn the same amount of time. Right. Well, no, he defense. probably had he probably had genuine burn victims that he was using, but then he was setting them on fire. I need more. And he said, "I put them out. I put them out <laughs> faster than others." Yeah, and this is after, of course, he's injected Anderton with the sedative with the so smile juice. Yes, right. Doesn't mind so much. Yeah. So they they do the operation, and and if you're squeamish, you know there's you know this thing that sits on Anderton's head and it holds his eyelids open. They don't show anything beyond that. Yeah, uh, my kids yeah. are particularly squeamish about eyeball removal. Oh, so right. kind of remind me of Clockwork Orange. I don't think either of you guys have seen that movie. I've never actually seen that one. No. It's on our list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There there is a motif of eyes in the film as well. I started noting every place that eyes were featured. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, there's the guy with the no eyes in the. Well, that was kind of alluding to. That operation, right? Kind of sort of, in my mind, anyway. Yeah, probably. The dude with no eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then <laughs> there's, a, yeah, there's a test of the eyes. So the buildings are randomly scanned by little ovoid spider creatures that go around and eye scan everybody. He tries to get away, he can't get away, so he has to be eye scanned. So the spider scan happens while Anderton is sleeping off the surgery. He's taking right. some drugs, he has the dream about his son. That's where you see... That he, how he was abducted, right? At a swimming and pool. It's an interesting stylistic thing because that's the only scene in the movie that's really, really bright colors. Mm-hmm. Do they actually scan his eye? Uh, the little spiders? Yeah, they do. Why the heck does he bother hiding in the first place then? 
because the doctor to. had told him, don't take the bandages off for 12 hours or you'll go blind. Oh, that's right. And they, they even show a little right, countdown right. clock. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's only been six that. hours. Okay. So, but I love it when he, when he wakes up from his nightmare and he goes yeah. over to the fridge yeah. <laughs> to get a he sandwich. Pulls out the, rotten <laughs> the rotten sandwich. And the oh. rotten milk. It was awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That you got to figure cool. that was an in joke they put in at the end. No, no. What, what, if, you, what if there are two sandwiches right. and things of milk yeah. in there? Yeah. So he tries to get away by masking yes. his body heat by jumping into a bathtub full of ice water. Mm-hmm. And he almost gets away with it, except he lets a single bubble of air escape out right. of his nose. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting. Um, there's just kind of. There are themes in the, in the movie, obviously, of privacy issues mm-hmm. because the police show up and they right. thermal scan the entire complex. So he's outside the range of the city where eye scanners are common. Mm-hmm. And so if they want to scan people, they have to deploy those spiders. And so they, yeah, they thermal scan the whole place and then, yeah, he disappears and maybe it's a cat jumping out a window. It's one big cat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, the bubble kind of escapes right. and, and that I'm not sure if, heat comes from that or if just the spiders hear it i think the spiders heard it yeah they go up to investigate and they shock him out of the the tub right yeah Yeah. um and yeah he pulls the thing back and his name is oh you find out later later, later his name is uh mr mr nakamura so let's let's speed up the plot overview yeah yeah he goes and he kidnaps agatha Mm mm-hmm and he needs Agatha because she has the minority report. And right. he needs to go someplace where he can extract the data from her mind. And so he goes to find the person that helps make all the pre-crime hardware. Mm-hmm. And he gets followed there. Uh, and then there's a oh, mall yeah. escape scene, which is really cool. Was that? Oh, yeah, that's right. After he's broken Agatha out. Right. We should also mention one of, one of the plot holes, right? He keeps his original eyes and he uses the, that to get into the temple with his eye scan. Yeah, right. seems like his access should have been revoked as soon as he was accused of a crime. You would think you so. You would think that. But on the other hand, I have I have dealt with uh, the bureaucracy of, of law enforcement yep. agencies before, and yeah, I think from time. a bureaucratic standpoint, it's perfectly plausible. Yeah, one time, <laughs> one time, right. Yeah, and that does come. And there's a great scene where he drops his eyeballs and chases him down the corridor yes. and just barely catches one. One of them. Yeah. One of them. Not both yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah, not both of them. So in the, in the mall scene, the reason I, I keep bringing it back up mm-hmm. is that one of, the, one of the discussions we had was, is the, is the precog's ability to use, can they use their abilities on purpose? How far right. does it reach? Does it, does it extend only to violent crime? Well, apparently it doesn't. Because right. all the way through the mall, Agatha is giving him hints. Grab an umbrella. Wait for the balloon man. Yeah. Right. The, what, the girl in the brown suit knows, recognizes you. Yeah. Yeah, we're led to believe early in the mo- earlier in the movie that the only thing they see is murder. Right. But and then all of a sudden they don't. The, yeah, that it might right. just be that that's the most vivid. Like there there's they might not be able to read right. images off that that kind of, that kind of thing. So I don't think it's necessarily a plot hole. Um and it didn't occur to me while I was watching the movie. It oh. did it did in subsequent views. Like I thought they could only but right. she's also the one but she's also the, the, most the powerful one, right? Yeah. Or the mo- yeah, the most talented one. Yeah. But they even they they talk about they give some lame excuse about why murder is the only thing they see. Yeah, and they, they, and they have the... a quote from, from Dr. Heinemann saying, oh, okay. like, nothing is more destructive to the fabric that holds us all together yeah. than the murder. And I'm like, that is a bunch of woo. <laughs> so <laughs> The great disturbance yeah. in the force. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a theist, so I'm okay with a little woo, but... It causes a great disturbance in the force. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. That they they could have basically <laughs> slotted that. That's pretty in. much what just, they just. That's exactly. They what should, should just had Yoda on there. Absolutely. <laughs> I like when when he initially gets her out of pre crime and in the car, and she asks him, "Is this now 
Yeah. Because she she's just kind of freaked out by right. the idea that she's experiencing now. Yeah. She's, and Samantha Morton does a great she does job a tremendous job. There's I a, think she got an award for it, didn't she? I'm not sure. But yeah, there's so a... So this movie didn't get any awards. There's a, the book didn't. Oh. The movie the won didn't. eight. Eight and Saturn Awards wow. and a handful okay. of other ones. Cool. All right. Yeah. Yeah, she does. A, there's a physical component to her acting in this that's really, really good because she's very floppy, um, right? Right. Because she's not used to walking, probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I also love in the in the um, whatever parlor that they go the, the hollow suite that they go to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> when uh, the guy comes in, he's like, "I want to kill my boss." He's like, oh, "Okay, you got some pictures for me." And then Andrew walks up and he's like, "You disgust me." <laughs> acts like acts like he actually wasn't gonna. Yes, I've always wanted yeah. to conduct a symphony as well. Yeah. Uh, I want to kill my <laughs> boss. Yeah. And then then I like. He he, whatever the guy's name is, genuflects in front of the, the precog. Yes, when he kind of going back that is. whole deification yeah. of them into yeah. the oh. temple. And then and then he says, uh, "Oh, what is it?" And did you pick up on when they went to the holding area? The guys down there playing hymns on an organ. Yeah, it help keep helps keep them mm-hmm. peaceful. He was playing "Yesu Joy of Man's Desiring." Yes. Bach, Rufus is the guy's name, and. I like he looks at her and he's like, I swear I didn't do any of those things I did. Are you reading my mind right now? Get up. I'm sorry, whatever I'm going to do when I swear I didn't do any of that stuff I did. <laughs> those thoughts I had about my cousin, I never had them again. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were just thoughts. One other bit of trivia is when they're back at pre-crime and he's trying to steal Agatha. At that same time, Whitwer is scrubbing the images and looking for clues as to where the murder's going to happen. Uh-huh. And you can see in there that there's Anderton and there's Leo Crow, who's the guy he's going to kill. And there's some other third person with glasses. The sunglass man. Um, but he also notices that there's a fourth person in the room. And, and right as he realizes it's Agatha, they turn around and right behind him... Uh, He's trying to make off with Agatha. Yep. Yep. Um, but so after he escapes, Whitwer realizes she's in the image with him. We know where, you know, we just have to find out where that is and we can, and we can stop this. But he asks the second in command guy, what time, how much time we got? Cause it's, it's a brown ball. So it was like 36 hours. Mm-hmm. But when he asks him how much time is left, he says 51 minutes, something. It's the exact running time of the rest of the movie. Oh really? Yeah, from that, <laughs> from that point forward. Yeah, to, to win the credits roll. That's awesome. So, yeah, I guess that was cool. <laughs> nice. That's when I I think I found that one on TV tropes or, or someplace. But so as soon as they exit the mall, they learn they're at the building where yeah he sees Leo the billboard Crow is yeah, with the guy with the glasses, that's the sunglass man. Yeah. So they go in and he you know searches you know finds the directory goes up to the floor, goes into the room, finds out that it's full of pictures of little kids, mm-hmm. and he then says right. I always, and he finds a picture of Sean. Finds a picture of Sean. It's like, mm-hmm. the, you know, since we've been looking for him, I've always fantasized about two things. Yeah, if I would recognize my son, if I saw him today. If I saw him today. And two, about killing the guy that yeah. took him from me. What I would do to the guy. And I think that is what kicks it out of a crime of passion into premeditation. Because you guys brought that up earlier. Yeah. And we're like, well, how can it, it was a crime of passion? No, no. He, he had been thinking about killing this guy, even though he didn't know who it was. Yeah, I have another years. another explanation there as well. Okay, um, just kind of an alternate thing that we don't see because the vision that we see has Agatha in it, mm-hmm. right? And so it is it is the version that takes place that we see in the movie because that's the version where Agatha is with with him. But it's possible that there were other images showing slightly different circumstances, a la the story, right? Where he found out about this guy from Lamar or from someone, you know, found out. I know who killed your son. And that, that would probably move it into brown ball territory. 
Right. If he if he found out that this guy existed, it wouldn't be necessarily a crime of passion. It would be something. Well, except I'm going for that, kill the man. Leo Crow guy actually said it would have been a crime of passion. In the movie, he, no, he said he said you'd kill me. Yeah, he said you'd kill me once you found out that I took your son. How does that not make it a crime of passion? Okay, so my my, my hypothetical <laughs> headcanon for this is that uh, Anderton is given information, good information about right. where this guy is, and. Just the yeah. the evidence on the bed is just the kind of the final link in the chain. Icing on the cake. So, yeah, as soon as he knew it was really him, then he killed him. But he was intending to kill him all along. He didn't kill him, though. He was intending to. And, well, no, he did. He did. In, in an just alternate prevision. In that way. In, oh, in a pre, sure. Yeah. Except, um, that, yeah. except there is no minority report, right? Right. Because the minority report would be hers. And and her vision is the one that that they have. So I'm not totally sure it works. I think yeah. I think you're right. It is it is slightly inconsistent. Right. But it's the kind of thing that didn't bother me while I watched the movie. Right. Any time I watched it. But and then yeah. there also too there should have been a minor report, right? No, they all agreed. All three people agreed that he was going to kill Crow. Right. That's not the minor report. The minor report is how he would have killed him. Well, that's that's minor report in story terms. Where there's differences in... I guess in what, the reason I bring this up, though, is because it's completely analogous to the minority report for her mother. It's the same exact situation, I how her I, mother died. I'm not sure I agree. Can you explain? Sure. Cause, so we got the one report where her mother is killed by um, the... John Doe. The, no, the other... Yeah, yeah, John Doe. Mm-hmm. And then so the other guy sees that and mm-hmm. then copies it and killing, killing, actually killing right. her so that it in appears the that they're the same people. Mm-hmm. Well, she still dies. She's still killed by this guy in this black coat mm-hmm. in both reports. But one of them's wrong. One of them's right. Right. When he kills Leo Crow, he still dies. But one of them's wrong and one of them's right. Right. He still dies, but it wasn't murder. It was still murder. It's well, always murder. He killed him you. and he's dead. That's murder. No, he didn't kill him. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't, he didn't pull kill the trigger. Him. It was suicide by cop. I mean, it wasn't even suicide by cop. The, the guy grabbed the gun and pulled the trigger. Yeah. However, think about this, James. Anderton was trying not to kill him. If yeah. you allowed me to edit out... 45 seconds in that movie. Could okay. I convince you that Tom Cruise pulled the trigger on purpose? Well, see, that's the tricky thing, because in the prevision, he definitely pulls the trigger on purpose. Right. It shows him, it shows a view of the gun without the guy right in front of him. And yeah. he says, goodbye, Crow, and pulls the trigger. Right. The circumstances are not identical. They're very, very close, but they're that's, not identical to the prevision. That's true. With the difference being that he now knows that he's going to do it. It's the free will part of it, right? Right. He knows he's going to do this. And Agatha keeps trying to convince him, don't, don't go there. You have a choice. You saw your prevision. Mm-hmm. You, you, have a, you have a choice here. Nobody else sees theirs. And so that's, that's true right. to the story, that, that the situation is unique. Right. But can you, still, can you still argue that about the story? In the story, he agrees, with what ha- what, he agrees with the minority report. Report, well, the one we think is the minority report. Report number three. He agrees. Oh, yes. Knowing that this was done specifically to decredit pre-crime, I would kill him, and so I'm going to go and do it. Yeah. Whereas right. in the movie, he's like, no, I can't do it. In fact, he arrests him. It's a great scene. Yeah. He yeah, makes it's, it's the a decision, very powerful scene. but he ends up dying not anyway. Yeah. And so it, it throws it right. right back into that whole discussion about free will versus predestination. You're going to die. This mm-hmm. is a known fact. It's been established. The only question now is... The methodology. Yeah. So it's also kind of a question of the terminology of, because he asks her, where's my minority report earlier? Right? Mm-hmm. Do I even have one? And she says, no. And it's possible. And that's why I think it's wrong. I think you should Yeah, have it's, one. it's possible that in terms of terminology, no, there's no minority report, meaning there's nothing showing that you don't kill this man. 
there are there's a composite of the three vi- visions, which is what they see on the screen mm-hmm. when they're scrubbing the image. And it's possible that Agatha might not know that the <laughs> right. that Dashiell and Arthur saw something slightly different. Maybe they saw. The, but you're right, though he didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't realize, he didn't realize that. He didn't but you're right. He didn't kill, kill him. him but yeah. He just kind of pushed his hand into the trigger that did shoot him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it looks very similar, but right. not exact, and it it kind of does bother me. So it kind, it kind of. So it kind of calls in the question how they actually get the names of the people who are doing the killing and who, right? Well, no, I, that goes back to the – I'm satisfied with the explanation I gave earlier that that there was a timeline in which he found out about Crow and killed him. Right, right. No, 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 okay, that's not what I meant to say, I guess. Um, how, how do they actually get the name of the person that did the killing? Do they sense it? Do they see yeah, it in these visions? That. And that's, Facial recognition. So that, that's where the that's where the problem lies in this situation, right? Because it looks like Tom Cruise killed him, mm-hmm. but he didn't actually kill him. Leo right. Grove killed himself. Yeah, but suicides don't. But it looks like he killed suicides him. are specifically <laughs> excluded. No, I, I realize yeah. that, but but do you see the flaw though in the, in yeah, the yeah. prediction? Well, I think I think there is data that they're reading out of their brains that right. includes the names. But yeah, that's I guess that's what I'm kind of wondering. Because in the movie, it, they make it seem like you're. Seeing the guy actually killing, you're seeing the murderer commit the murder. Yeah, um, and and that's how they know who it is, I guess. Yeah, but then I guess I guess I guess, I guess you can't really know how they get the name. No, but know. you can't know how they get the name in in the <laughs> yeah, story true. either. They're just right. sitting there babbling, and some of the information that they seem to be receiving is names. Right. It has to be, otherwise they wouldn't ever come up with the names that way either. Yeah, that's true. Where I still think it's facial recognition, because that's the whole visual aspect. And that explains why Tom Cruise's name didn't pop out sooner than it did. They knew the victim right away, because he was very clearly shown. But not until that image came clear did Tom Cruise's ball come rolling around the corner. Right, right. yeah, yeah, that's true. But then that, that calls in the fallibility of the whole thing, right? Because it looked like he killed him, but he didn't really kill him. Oh, I wouldn't doubt that the first time he really killed him. Yeah, that there was there was a, a timeline in which he killed him, but well, yeah. it's not as neat as the way the story does it. Right. Um, it, if they had had three minority reports, so they were all slightly different, mm-hmm. then they could have had one where he genuinely killed him, one where he decided not to kill him, and another where the guy killed himself, kind right. of thing. But I don't yeah, know. and the thing about Agatha's minority report is the only real difference is was it showed a guy with a ski mask and glasses killing him. Yeah, let's get back to that one. Though. Yeah, her report. Shows him pulling off the mask yeah, or she's putting it on. Right. He, you know, he, she has the vital data that Dashiell and Arthur never had. Yeah, that's the only thing that makes her report the minority report. It's that additional, right? No, it's, that's not the only, the only thing. But we'll we'll get back to that. Okay, because we're we're getting there in our we're we're, we're accelerating, but we're getting there. Yeah. In I, our, I like in I like, our excessive plot summary. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I like. I'm usually the one who says let's not do much plot summary, but 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 this one I don't know. I I enjoyed the movie enough that there's lots I wanted to talk about. But yeah, I like that we find out Whitworth used to work homicide, mm-hmm. and he is not buying the crime scene. He's, he's seeing right. that this is staged. It's an orgy of evidence. You yeah. never ever see this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although as smart as he is, he interacts pretty stupidly with Burgess. Because he essentially he goes to Anderton's place. Yeah, he's a bit naive about Burgess's involvement. Yeah, so there's a bit, a bit too naive. <laughs> there's an interesting scene after after Crow dies. Um, Anderton takes Agatha to his wife's house, right? And she does that whole weird sort of reading their son's alternate history. Oh, I'm not sure what to make of that. Is that what she's doing, or is she just making it up? Because she's sitting there and she's she's talking about how you know he's ten mm. years old and he's running the two mile, 
in in track because right. he runs like his daddy, you know, and, yeah. and you know he he gets married and and calls the wife and she cries and it's very it had very, to be an alternate. It seems like she had to be looking into into his future as it would have been. Yeah, but it's not future really explained. As it could have been. I guess I guess you could explain that away with well, she's more talented, right? Yeah. than the boys. But then she brings it right back to herself, and I think that helped establishes right. the parallels between. Yeah, that's when we yeah. find out that it was her mother. Yeah. Well, it seemed like she was experiencing an echo of her own at that point. That could right? be. Yeah, I could see that. Where somehow the house is echoing with right the residual presence. Yes. One of the reasons this house is so full of love. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then, of course, he gets haloed. They come in and they catch him. Right. right. And that's, so we 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 we, should, we skipped a, a step that's really important. Did we? Whitworth confronts confronts Burgess. No, no, not yet. Not yet. No, nope, he gets the evidence off of uh, Anderton. All right. All right. Um, so he gets he gets the minority report stuff from him. he goes to his apartment he finds all the all the other evidence that he has mm-hmm. and he has the fragment that they downloaded from Agatha at right. the parlor and it, looking at that he realizes right. there's a discrepancy between what Art and Dash saw and what Agatha saw and the difference is the direction of the ripples on the lake oh yeah yeah, yeah. and so he realizes this is a crime that took place at two different times somebody realized that the way to fake a crime, and, th- and this is an interesting concept. You know, how would you beat this system? Um, would be to hire somebody to kill somebody. So it's a brown ball. Right. Pre-crime guys come in, arrest you, and then immediately you commit the crime in exactly the same way. It comes through from the precogs, looking like an echo, looking like an echo, and they're trained to discard it. Or it comes through as a minority report, right. and is also discarded. I'm not sure. You know, the echo and minority report thing. I'm not sure they needed the echo, right. other than to explain why she kept showing it. Well, to, to the, the echo kind of—if you can make the echo and the minority report the same, then it justifies getting rid of the minority report. Yeah, I guess that's true. Or can justify getting rid of the minority report. I think I think the echo was just to <clears throat> explain how she kept showing that to Anderton. True. The yeah, really bad maybe. ones come right. back. Um, so yeah, he's telling this to Burgess, and you can sort of, you can almost see on Colin Farrell's face when he says, "Of course, this would have to be somebody really highly placed in pre-crime." Uh, but this is after he's handed off a handgun to right. Burgess, yeah, uh, which yeah. was a strange thing. I wasn't sure why he did that, right? Um, but so then, then of course, with Agatha pulled out of the tank, right. The other two aren't quite working. Yeah, the other right. two aren't working. Yeah, they make a hive mind. You need all three to do this. Right. You know what? You were right. The the Whitwer Burgess thing happens before they arrest Anderton because he is accused of killing Leo Crow and Whitwer. They arrest him for both murders. So yeah. sorry, I got that one out of order. And the order is not that important. It's yeah. the scene though, because Burgess goes, hmm, "No little spiders. No men yeah. dropping out of the sky. No red ball." Mm-hmm. Because. Pre-crime is offline. Bang. Yeah. That was brutal. Which again says, right, you would need somebody that understands pre-crime very well and is very highly placed. Mm-hmm. Right. He's the man that understands the system, maybe because he helped create it, design it, and knows how to exploit it. Yeah. So then the kind of the ending of the movie. Um, There's one part about when he gets entombed that, that I want to pull out in particular. Sure, go for it. Which is... Uh, you're part of my flock now, John. You're part of my flock now, John. They say <laughs> it's a rush. Yeah, they say that when you go into this, the, I, you'll... Your life flashes before your eyes. They and say your wildest dreams come true. Your wildest dreams come true. Yeah. And right after that, we cut scene mm-hmm. into a party 
where Burgess is being recognized for successfully getting pre-crime through nationwide, and his right. wife is there. But yeah. I want to get that in there, because we have to come back and talk about the controversies about the ending. Sure. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention was, after Crow dies, you see a news report that spins the whole thing and says, but it's still proof that pre-crime works, because it happened exactly the way they said. <laughs> oh! <laughs> so, um, yeah. The fact that he still died was, was right, good, yeah. good for the cause. I remember that. There's one of those things where Anderton's wife is talking to Burgess before he goes into the, the party, mm-hmm. and she asks who Anne Lively is. And kind of in that conversation, he reveals that he has knowledge about it that she hasn't given him, that, right. it, that it was a drowning. And that's one of the, oh, oops. Now he right. can't murder her because pre-crime is back online. So I'll see you tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Maybe out at your house. Maybe I'll come out to the cottage. Which I wonder if the cottage is outside the range. Oh, too. It's possible. Yeah. They kind of seem kind of made it seem that way. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so oh, so Laura Laura goes the the wife goes and uh, goes into the tank the holding tank where everybody is which. That place was disturbing. Because yeah. uh, when when my son saw it, he thought everybody was like, didn't have skin or something. But they had these kind of clothes on that looked like they had maybe like thermal right. wiring in them. But you could also see their heart beating. And so it looked like their chests were open. That's a transparent overlay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah which he thought was kind of... Looked like a good way to uh, imprison people. Efficient. I wish they said more about <laughs> what they were doing. Because, you know, the, the, the guy... The priest. Gideon? Gideon mm-hmm. said, you know, their, their bodies aren't doing anything, but their brains are really busy. Yeah, but inside, yeah. Yeah. Busy, busy, busy. Um, so she goes in there, and she drops the eyeball on the organ. Says, I want to see my husband. And so she springs him from there. And this is where you're like, uh, right. okay, so one time he sneaks into pre-crime using his eyeball. And then somebody goes, and by the way, remove right. his access. Yeah. Because we know that there's an eyeball out there. So she gets back in again, rescues him. They meet at the party. He confronts Burgess. Yeah, over a phone call. Over a phone call. And says... And explains the whole thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, Agatha is deliberately putting out the entire minority report. And they're recording it at pre-crime. And Jad, the assistant, starts streaming it out to the party. Right. Which is a pretty good scene. And like you said, it shows it's much more detailed. Mm -hmm. And it shows him removing the mask. And so you can see that it's Burgess. Yeah. And everybody goes, oh, whoops. That's... Whoopsie. Yeah. So Burgess right. chases him through the house, up onto the roof, mm-hmm. and they confront one another. Yeah, and I'm not totally sure I get the ending here either. Because Anderton says, you have a choice now. You can shoot me and prove that pre-crime works, and then rot in hell with a halo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's already standing accused of a murder, so I don't know why he... You know, his other choice is to not kill him and discredit pre-crime, pre-crime, right? And, of course, then he, he chooses a third way. Right. Right. Which, Which goes back, then goes back to, like, the predestination. Right. Was he going to kill Tom Cruise? Right. Or was he going to die or something else? Well, but it's, it's another special situation, right? Because right. he knows about the report. He knows that he's it, accused it of it. Kind of reminds me of the story in that instance, the, the book... Yeah, right. I mean, so what I found online with a lot of people who hate the movie because or the reason that they hate the movie. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is, let's, let's let's do the whole ending, then you can okay. say why they hate the movie. Sure. <clears throat> There's some voiceover from Tom Cruise saying that in 2054 the pre-crime experiment was ended. All the people that were being held were fully released, although the police watched many of them very closely. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it ends up with a shot of 
him and with uh, John Anderton and Lara back in the house. She's pregnant again, mm-hmm. uh, and they're back together. Yeah. So it's it's the fairy tale ending. Yeah, and the precogs are somewhere out in the boonies. Where, right. where they don't have to dream about murder. That's right. They're reading books, and Agatha has a little key fob, keychain bookmark, <laughs> which is the minority report that yeah. she gave. Yeah. And that's, that's where the controversy <clears throat> comes from. People wanted something more in line with the starkness of the movie, I think. But that Sorry. ending acts exactly like the book. <laughs> we're going off to visit the colonies, oh, yeah. and we're not going to be arrested, and everything's going right. to be fine. Yeah, I mean... But so, pre-cram still exists. So in the book, true. you could definitely see how Anderton could skate on most charges, but he committed a lot of crimes in his escape. <laughs> but no murder, death kills. No murder, death kills. Yeah, it's true. But it's not like he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, he he, he broke into places. Right. He, the eye surgery is probably illegal. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And the drug use, right? That alone mm-hmm. get you six months and cost you your badge. Yeah. 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 So it's. Are we to assume that he's still a cop? No, he probably doesn't have his badge anymore. Yeah, that's probably true. But, but yeah, so this is a question of, is he still in that tank and his wildest dreams are coming true? That's right. And that, it's an open question. There's, there's a lot of speculation about it. Oh, I see what you're saying. And that's why yeah, I think those people that gripe about the ending, they have no footing. I don't know, though. I think if all his dreams came true, they would have found his son. But, but she told him, Agatha told him that his son is dead. Did she? Yeah. Not so verbosely. But remember, Sean was six or seven at the time of his kidnapping, mm-hmm. and it's six years later, so he's twelve. And she tells his whole future. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I think you can you can get the implication there that he is actually dead. Yeah, right. yeah, but it's an interesting. I I don't know if they deliberately left it open like that, or not. But it seems. I, so Spielberg, you're saying all the, all the points all the points after him being imprisoned as a dream or something of his. That's one theory, okay. a fan theory about it. Which, which is very Philip K. Dick adapted, right? There's the, yeah. all the questions from Blade Runner that stay open. Right. Yeah, that's and true. I think Minority Report has those same questions. Mm-hmm. Did we really see an ending or did we see something else? Right. Yeah. Is the questionable pre-crime division really ended or is Burgess still up there mm-hmm. waiting for his next murder victim? So I wanted to talk through, are we done talking about the movie in general? I mean, in specific, the plot. And then, then we'll get into <laughs> some, whatever opinions are of it. Uh. A couple of random facts. I think we mentioned earlier that it was nominated for uh, 11 Saturn Awards and won four of them. It got a handful of other awards. It made $352 million in the international box office, and it only cost about $100 million to make, so it was very, very successful. Yeah. I will say, uh, in terms of the Saturn Awards, uh, other winners of Best Science Fiction Film uh, include Independence Day. So, <laughs> Is it Saturn no, Awards? Is that the one that's mostly popular... Ish based. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe it's like the Science Fiction People's Choice Awards. I don't know. It, oh, okay. it seems like really popular things when it, right. you know, Total Recall won it. Yeah. But uh, I'm not sure that it's it's, it's not, not 100% trustworthy. Yeah, it's not as <laughs> prestigious as some other awards. Right. I suppose. It's not like the Nebula. Not that I have any the problem human. with Independence Day. It was fun. So one one of the gripes that people seem to have who really really like the story is they feel like the story keeps precognition as a concept intact, and the movie does not. And I think James, that's kind of what your gripe is. I think so. That that the prevision in the movie turned out to really not be true mm-hmm. because it shows, it shows the events that don't actually happen. Similar things happen and it's very close and it's mm-hmm. enough to keep the casual observer from, from going, Oh wait, that's not what happened. Right. But when you go back and watch it several times, you kind of start to notice, no, that's not, that's not what the prevision actually showed. <laughs> it's not quite right. Yeah. 
Yes. And I, you know, I've seen it three or four times now, and <clears throat> right. I'm more or less okay with it. <laughs> You've become numb to it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a legitimate gripe, um, but I'm not totally sure that precognition made sense in the story. So maybe you guys could convince me of that. Which the story mm, itself? I, I guess it did because it had the three. Yeah. The three reports were all different, right? And this is where there's a difference in the kind of the technology of how the pre precog visions work because it's very analog in the right. one on the one hand and on the other in the movie it's a composite set of images right that get thrown together from the three so yeah not sh- not, sure not sure how we would have seen three minority reports right on with the technology the way they did it in the in the, in the movie movie yeah yeah because of the whole composite thing right and then then the theory of echoes yeah which is odd and no, I like it. <laughs> no, no, which is, uh, yeah. It, no, it may, actually, the echo thing kind of makes sense. But it's kind of confusing how they come up with the minority report at that point, then. Yeah, and you, you never have the idea that one of the precogs can factor in another precog's vision mm-hmm. into their vision. Like, they're, obviously, the prevision that we see has Agatha in it. So that does see it's an alternate future, right? It's the future in which Anderton gets Agatha, not the one where he originally killed the guy. Right. So all we see is the the alternate, but not really all we see is the alternate because he doesn't actually kill him. So, yes. <laughs> but isn't that the question of of the story? The, yeah, and it's it's not the big the capital S story, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing what you're going to do, would you still do it? Yeah. Right. But if you don't do it, then is precognition real? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the basis of, of the whole precogs well, see, in the first place are that different time streams exist. The, the story talks right. about that. Because if different time streams didn't exist, you couldn't prevent it. Right. Now, that's why I liked how they handled the Minority Board in the story, uh, in the novel. Book. Novella? Book? Whatever. Book. We'll yeah. call it book. In the book better. Because uh, they, they actually had uh, that different timeline documented, I guess, as the Minority Report, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it, it makes the, it makes the peacock together. thing more concrete and logical. Yeah, I think I think it holds together a little better. Yeah, um, the name of the story, the Minority Report, is interesting since there's three. It's yes. it's kind of it's almost a play right. because at the end you find out that there were three of them. Where then in the movie, I remember seeing the trailer and watching the movie. You know, you find out you think that Minority Report refers to the Minority Report he's looking for. Which is his, right. which of course then turns out to not exist. Which I thought was another interesting thing. The minority report in question really is Anne Lively's. Right. Oh, hey, another uh, a little bit of trivia. Did you guys notice a familiar face on the metro when he rode the train? He as he's riding the train, somebody's looking at a newspaper. It's it's uh, electronic paper, right? Right. And his face cool. pops up there as a like a news flash, news bulletin, right? And the person reading it looks up and sees Tom, like Tom the Cruise. director or something? It's Cameron Crowe. Yeah. Who's, who's another director. Yeah. Oh. A well-known director. But right behind him is Cameron Diaz. No way! I'm yeah. kidding. So, double, double Cameron. That's funny. I also liked during the uh, jetpack scene, when they're, when they're in that apartment, and the jetpack goes across and flame broils the burgers. Yeah, that was good, too. <laughs> We should probably point out, right? It's it's a very popular movie. It's got a rating of ninety two percent at Fresh Tomatoes. Roger fresh Ebert tomatoes. said, "Fresh Tomatoes, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes." <laughs> so it's 90, fresh rating, ninety percent Rotten at Fresh Tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Roger Ebert said that it was the best movie of two thousand and two, which for a science fiction film, 
this not just an action romp is a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah. The fact that we've been talking about it for the last three hours says a whole lot about the movie as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was deep and it was enjoyable and um, thought provoking. Yeah. So uh, maybe at this time we talk about what we thought in terms of what kind of it was it a good adaptation, bad adaptation, and rank them. I'll go first to give you guys time to think. Unless you want to go first. You can go first. Okay. So I've thought about this a lot, and I think we're seeing a study in extremes. We watched Predestination, and it's almost word for word. (laughs) With a little bit added to it that we all agreed were valuable additions, right? Because if you're going to add to a story, you either add to the middle or the end. Although I think that quote was taken out of context because he was talking about extending written works. But it may may, uh, work. And there was a lot of stuff done in the middle in this movie. Yeah. Because there were some fundamental changes to everything. Yeah. Um, so it, it, as an adaptation goes I think it adapts the heart of the story mm-hmm. and I think it does a really good job of that if, this, if the novella introduces pre-crime the story is an expect- experimentation and riff on pre-crime so this is how it works here's how we're going to break it you said story you meant movie movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah to me I feel like it, it's a very good adaptation in the kind of adaptation I like Oh yeah, where where <laughs> I like one where it kind of it takes the the original material and asks a few other questions, like for instance, how would you beat this system, right? And and riffs on that, mm-hmm. and does you the favor of leaving the original story more or less intact and mysterious, because you could watch this movie and read the book just as I did, and recognize that these these really are sort of different stories. They're the same but different. Different enough that it's it really I, to me it rewards watching the movie and reading the book. Yeah, yeah. You, you get payoffs for both. I think it would have worked better to make the Minority Report the movie a sequel to the Minority Report the book, because now that that thing I was trying to talk about, right, where you introduce it and then you experiment on it. Sure. You don't have to use Tom Anderton. There's nothing special about Tom Anderton. John Anderton. John Anderton, right? Tom Cruise. Yeah, you could have Whitworth in there, right? <laughs> yeah, or Whitworth, or or his wife. Really, between the two sets of, of stories. Mm-hmm. You, you, though the, the focus of the movie is smaller and on one hand and larger in another way, because the universe set out in the story, even though it's not very well developed, is much bigger, because there's, there's colonies on other worlds. Sure. Uh, right. The, the pre-crime is not just for murders, it's for all kinds of things. So the movie kind of focused on particular bits of it, set some variables different, set different initial conditions where no precog is only for murders. The precogs are actual human beings. Yeah. Though I did like, and this is something I didn't mention, when they're getting the tour, when Whitware is getting the tour, um, Anderton says, it's better to think of them as not human. Which I think is kind of a throwback to the It is. The story. But and you, you consider right. their, their inception and their treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, all that is to say... I do like the movie better than the story. Okay. Um, I, I love, yeah, I know. I love the, <laughs> I love the whole, I lost my son and now I'm a broken man thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, you know, James, keep in mind, you got no kids. That's true. So it, that's not as, yeah. as resonant. I had a dog something. once. <laughs> I love the action sequences. They're yeah. really enjoyable. Uh, I love this whole idea. Like I said, you, know, you, you introduced it and then they never did anything with it. In the in the novel, in the novel, but in the movie, it's like mm-hmm. okay, right. here's pre crime, and here's how you take advantage of it for your yeah. per- evil, nefarious, controlling purposes. So I'll go next, and then James, you can you can gain very well. You can be the minority report. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that was terrible. 
Uh, but probably <laughs> probably inevitable, really. Uh, True. Given what we know about pre-crime. <laughs> that was that was pre-crime of language. Um, Tell us more, Seth. Yeah, I, I am also I'm a huge fan of the movie. And talking through it here, I have a few more problems with it since we've been right. since we started talking about it. Um, but I really do I, I love it. I think it's probably my favorite Steven Spielberg movie. And I love really? Jurassic Park. So wow. um, I love the visual style. I love, like you said, the the that very visceral thing with the man who lost his son. Mm. Um, and and it's very believable. I think it's a great performance from Tom Cruise. I think he's really, really good in it. And, and Samantha Morton. Yeah. Amazing. So, and even, you know, like Max von Sydow is, is good. And so is Colin Farrell. I like everybody. <laughs> they all gonna, good. I'm going to name the whole cast now because they're all <laughs> right. really good. Neil McDonough so, and this person over here. But right. I will say that I, I definitely recommend the story, and I think you do too. Oh, yeah. That's not, it's not to the detriment of the story. It's like no. you know, it's the better no. of two. Would you rather eat? And Seth, you have an obvious answer for this. Would you rather eat steak or salmon? Steak, steak all the way. Right. right. And I'm not even a huge fan of steak, so. Surf and turf. Yeah. And James is like, why eat just one? Right. <laughs> Take both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you mentioned Colin Farrell, it, uh, and the, the acting, how he acted really good in the movie, mm-hmm. along with Tom Cruise, maybe they get ele- the elevator scene again. I thought that was a really that great scene. That was a scene. great scene, yeah. I, probably, I would say that was probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie, just because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot going on in it, and it was, it was yeah. cool. Yeah, no, I thought that was well done. Yeah, I, I do, I do have a problem with that action scene going on a little too long. Yeah, which one? The cars or the jetpacks? I, I like the jetpacks. It was no. even the jetpacks was a little long, yeah. but it was the cars that bothered me. Okay, because <laughs> I, I ended up watching the movie, yeah, twice. True. So the cars just reminded me of Star Wars, and yeah. then the jetpack scene just seemed really off. I, I looked Wiry, at it more, I guess. Yeah, I, I think. I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I looked at it more as a throwback to. Earlier science fiction, sure, yeah, not for sure. It just, I, I, I don't know. I guess I was, I was, was a big fan of it. I yeah, suppose. I think, I think you could have gotten away with not having jetpacks and still yeah. had a cool action scene. Maybe just the cars. Maybe I wouldn't right. have minded it. But true. You needed a fist fight in there somewhere, I guess. I'm still cool with yeah. the fist fight. I just the jetpacks were just and the six kind of lame. The jetpacks does give him a way to escape seven people pretty quickly. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they could have done the jetpacks. It seemed like better. they were not real. Uh, didn't have a lot of conviction when they rolled up to try and get him. No. Yeah, true. Because they, it seemed like they could have just grabbed him. But all right, James. So, so you're saying yeah, you right. like the story better? Um, not necessarily. <laughs> if we don't have a minority report here, then, then this the whole system crumbles. Well, it's like I'm the story. Back to, it's like a novel. I'm harkening back to something that Colin said, I guess, about how the or taking the novel, putting some in the end, some in the beginning, and mm-hmm. making it more complete. I feel like the movie might. Might be a more complete story than the the novel. Yeah, but isn't that almost always the case with a short story turned into a movie? <laughs> Predestination. No. Predestination was an exact adaptation. No, it was a more complete story. They added that bit to tie it all together. No, but I think Predestination the story was still pretty complete in my in my opinion. Yeah, we're, yeah. They just added more to it in the movie, which is fine. Yeah. We're going to watch a movie where the additions you don't like and don't add to the movie. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm yeah. sure, but I'm talking about exactly what you mentioned too. Is the how in the movie they explored how to cheat the system yeah. and there are things like that. Where in the in the movie or in the book, I mean, you didn't really get any of that exploration or world building or setup. Yeah, um, almost to the detriment of the story, right? I no, I I don't necessarily think Possibly, that was. I, anyway. I think the story was it wasn't super tight. Yeah, but in terms of the execution on the on the concept of the minority report right. and the fact that there were three that was an excellent twist so yeah. so i 
But yeah, okay, but I'll be I'll be it though. I'll say I like the story better. Okay. I think it I think it holds up better. Okay. <laughs> I found too many holes in my mind for the movie. Alright. <laughs> That's fine. Oh you you can be wrong. Yeah. I you can, can be the, the I can be the minor report. Yes. <laughs> uh we've decided what we're doing next, right? We are gonna do uh an more recent work than we have done recently. We're gonna do the book Contact, written by Carl Sagan in yes. nineteen eighty five. If you go to the Washington County Public Library System in Oregon, near Portland, you will not find it in the science fiction section because it has been misfiled. Yeah, it's in adult fiction. Yeah. And at the uh, Hillsborough Main Library, I'm sorry, both copies are out. One's at my house and one's right. at James's. Yeah. And I've got dibs from one of them when they're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was a recommendation from Rem at the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast uh, when we were on a Skype call a while back. So that's what we're going to be doing. Cool. On that note, I am actually going to be making a guest appearance on the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast in early February talking about Rise of the Planet of the Apes. That's something that we have previously talked about a bit on this show. So that should be fun. And that is scifimoviepodcast.com. Yeah. So for next time, if you want to read along at home, read Contact by Carl Sagan. It is not a small book, but it's not a huge one either. No. And then just one movie, the Jodie Foster movie. Mm-hmm. So this will be three in a row where it's one written, one visual. Well, and looking ahead, we're starting to do some larger works. Yeah. So having fewer movies to watch with larger works is a good thing. Yeah. Right. I'm enjoying the one, the one work, one movie. Yeah. I especially like the <laughs> short story ones. Yeah. Because like, uh, last night I went, oh, I need to reread the story. And so I reread it. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that hard. So not too difficult to pull through. Yeah. Anything else before we sign off? Uh, you know, if you want us to change what we're doing, we're certainly happy to do that. Uh, go on Facebook or Twitter or Oh, you mean to recommend a new, uh, a different material? Yeah, or yeah. or if you think that we've missed something really important about the book, like, you know, just why the ending should have been darker or starker than it really was. Yeah, I know, I know lurking on the internet out there, there are a lot of people who are wrong and think that the movie sucked, so. <laughs> I, I found, I, I, will, I will put, I will duly put the opinions of one person, one such wrong person uh, <laughs> in the show notes, because right. I, I read it and I thought... I. You need to watch the movie again. And I think it's just somebody who's too attached to the story. Which, Colin... I, you normally blame me for that. Yeah, I do. True. So there's somebody who's even more too attached to the story than Colin. Yes. Yeah. Were they more than just people that hated the movie because of plot holes, but maybe liked they it as a movie? They just thought the movie was a disaster. And, oh, really? and I'm like, okay. stylistically, in terms of directing, no. it, technically it was excellent. The acting right. was very good. I don't think it was a disaster. No. I, most, of the re- most of the reviews I came across were... Just people poking holes in the plot, which I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's it's a movie. They, I think to the casual viewer, it's a very very tight movie, very yeah. well made, very enjoyable. So you really have to kind of dig when, and we we end up right. doing that. And like I said, I was coming in here going, this is a masterpiece. This movie is an absolute masterpiece. <laughs> and now I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, it has some faults. Right. All right. All right. Done till next time. Done till next. Apologies, time. we went a little long today, and this was my fault. So if you want to blame anybody, it was James. <laughs> But I think until next time we're wrapped, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so for James and Colin, I am Seth, and we are the Pavement Pounders, and we thank you for listening, and we hope you will tune in next time when we discuss adapted science fiction at its best and worst. Until then, we'll leave you with one of the Pavement Pounder blessings. May the road rise up to meet you, and may your ebooks always be DRM-free. Oh, I like that one. Yes, good stuff.
discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm Col- not Colin. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm James. <laughs> <laughs> and right off the bat, we have fodder for the blooper reel. Awesome. Right. I'll try that again. <laughs> that was rad. <laughs> How's this transition? Because I don't know where you left off now. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, Damn it, that, Seth. That's a tough part. And, and, well, think about it, though. I'm the one who has to splice it all together. So, yes. In the, glo- in the gloomy half-darkness, the three idiots sat babbling. Yeah. All day long, the idiots babbled. I want that to be our podcast title. <laughs> <laughs> Did you pause, by the way? No. So I, I get to edit five minutes of silence. We got all the blooper reel stuff out right at the beginning. Yes, we did. Sorry. That was a bit long. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Just lobbing them up there for him. <laughs>